0: Profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.
1: As soon as I started to identify influencers in the industry and where people hung out, they were so hungry for somebody who was coming to them with accounting and uh, bookkeeping information and willing to answer their questions. They just, it was just like they sucked me up.
0: Welcome to Epic Business Growth for CPAs. My name is Geraldine Carter, founder of She Thinks Big Coaching. This is the place to be if you're a CPA who wants to grow your accounting practice. Weekly episodes are full of strategies and action steps that create a clear path for growth without working harder. Time to get inspired and grow your business. My guest today is Cindy Thomason of BooksKeep, Cindy is the author of the best-selling book Profit First for E-Commerce Sellers. She's a mastery level certified Profit First professional and the founder and president of BooksKeep. Cindy devotes much of her time speaking at various events such as ASD Market Week, SellerCon, ProfitCon, and other industry events. She is a regular contributor to the private label Insider, Inventory Lab, and Ecom engine blogs and newsletters. Her company consists of a virtual team located across the United States, providing bookkeeping and profit-first consulting services to e-commerce clients all over the world. I wanted to interview Cindy to ask about her experience of differentiating herself in the marketplace and niching down. Like so many things in life that are difficult to learn or do, once you know how to do it or have done it, it seems easy. And you forget what it was like before you knew how to do the thing. And it can be that way with niching down. Once you've done it, you forget what it was like to be in the headspace of knowing you should do it, but feeling resistant to actually putting the process in place. So Cindy and I are going to talk about her process of niching to e-commerce now that she is on the successful side of it. Before that, though, I want to insert two things. The first is an email from a listener named Ellen, who wrote me something that just about blew my doors off and completely made my day. I would take it a step further and say that Ellen's email to me repositioned how I view myself, because now I see myself through her eyes. And here's what Ellen wrote. Geraldine, I am loving your podcast so much. It is gold. It is up there with my favorites, Tim Ferriss and Brooke Castillo. It gets my creative brain popping each time I listen. I especially love the episode you did where Dr. Sabrina Starling coached you around your own challenges around hiring. That was so brave to be vulnerable and open up for us all to hear. It's one thing to be interviewed about something you have mastered. It's very scary to be open about something you wrestle with. Thank you for sharing your ideas and keep up the great work. Thank you, Ellen, for that. And I do just want to comment on that and say that yes, it is vulnerable to be open in that way. And I had a feeling, you know, I had an inkling when I asked Dr. Starling to come on um, the podcast and coach me. I had a feeling I knew what I was getting myself into. And what I've learned in my life is that anytime that I open up and I share in an authentic and vulnerable way, that people respond to it so favorably. And yes, it's scary. And yes, I feel like I just want to crawl out of my skin sometimes, but I know that there is real value in it for people. So I'm happy to do it. And because I've heard from you, Ellen, on this one, I will find a way to incorporate some more of that. The second thing is that my ebook, Six Easy Steps to Double Your Revenue, is available for you to download. Should you be interested in doubling your revenue? If you are, you can find it at shethinksbigcoaching.com. So, without more preamble, here is Cindy Thomason of BooksKeep. Cindy, welcome to the Epic Business Growth for CPAs podcast.
1: Thank you, Geraldine. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to
0: have you here. What I would love to talk with you about today is your journey and how you got to being a bookkeeper for business owners with e-commerce businesses. And I'm wondering if you can start us out with a little bit of background about who you currently serve and what their needs are.
1: For sure. We serve e-commerce sellers that have inventory. Um, We have refined our niche over the last few years, and we're pretty specific now. We like to work with people that are private label sellers that are above a million in sales. Wow. Wow for their e-commerce businesses. So it started out much more general than that, but that's where we're at right now. Um, Those clients really just fit us well in terms of their their manufacturing or or sourcing their own product from a manufacturer. They uh, they just are very business mindset oriented and um, they work well with the way we like to work with clients.
0: Wow, okay, so private label with more than a million dollars in sales. So just for those of us who aren't well versed in what that means, give us a little bit of explanation.
1: Well, they can sell on many platforms. So most of them sell on Amazon, many of them sell on multiple platforms like Walmart, eBay, um, Etsy, um, there's a, a variety of places where they can think they can achieve their million dollars in sales. Some of them even have a, a, a small brick and mortar that they, they may um, also sell in. Um, private label generally means that they are having, um, they've designed a product, they've created a brand, they are are not, um, they're not wholesaling it from someone else. They they've, they've uh, say for example fitness equipment, they've designed. Um, a jump rope, for example, and they have that made to their specifications with their brand on it. So they're building up their brand as well as um, having that product made to their specifications.
0: Okay. So this isn't somebody who has a product made by somebody else putting their own label on it and reselling it.
1: Uh, It could be that. It could be that. Um, What it's not is people that do retail arbitrage, which means that they go to Walmart or Walgreens or Target and buy clearance merchandise and then sell it um, online. Now, we do have some of those clients, but that's not who we're marketing to. Um, It's not typically people that are wholesalers, which would be like, you know there's a manufacturer out there that makes uh, handkerchiefs, and he will sell to you know five hundred different companies, and those people then sell them on uh, on a um, online platform. The people that we find that fit us best are those that really are more invested in building their brand around um, a, a product that they can put their label on or um, have made to their specifications.
0: So how did you get to having these people as your sort of top client or your ideal client?
1: Well, we went through the journey of um, serving everyone to serving a niche that was very broad. And over time, we've just refined and refined um, who it is we like to work with and who fits us best. And, And that's where we've gotten to to this point.
0: So when you started out, would you say that you would serve almost anybody who came to you needing bookkeeping services?
1: Yes, absolutely. That was that was the practice um, that I had originally.
0: How was that for you? What did you find? that? How was that working or not working?
1: Well, it was working pretty well. Uh, I always wanted to work remotely. That was really important to me. And um, I started my business... Um, when QuickBooks Online really kind of became a thing. So uh, I knew uh, for my lifestyle, I needed uh, flexibility to be with my daughter. And so I created the business with the idea of flexibility in mind, in fact, I wouldn't take local clients because I didn't want to go into their office. <laughs> I mean, that was that was a for, that was a for, for sure thing for me. No, if you if you live in town, I don't want to see you in the grocery store. So my clients were all about an hour and a half away because I have a partner, um, my virtual assistant that's been with me from the beginning. She was located in in this town about an hour away and was doing work with people locally that she referred to me for the. Occasion side of things. And through word of mouth, I, I started with a social media company, um, got a website designer, software engineer from there. I got, um, a bicycle shop. I got, you know, just a, in, any number of things, a, um, a retail, um, a retail gift store. Um, uh, there's a, a, a business that times and manages, uh, uh, 5K runs, uh, you name it. So, and you know, the common thing for for all of them was that they needed a bookkeeper and that I could uh, work with them on QuickBooks Online. But every one of them had something different. You know, a different point of sale, or I needed to log in and learn something different from mm-hmm. for how they they made their money. You know, and I, I like that honestly. I mean, it was it was fun to to learn something new. So. That was probably one of the biggest decisions I had to make was I felt like I was not going to learn as much new stuff whenever I decided to niche. And that was, that felt like a drawback to me because I love to learn. And did you also enjoy the variety I did. You know, it was, it was fun. I, I would go over there every once in a while and go and sit in the bicycle shop and, and visit, you know, and, um, hang out at the retail store. And, um, so I did, I did enjoy it.
0: Was there a specific moment in time? Like what was the process of you deciding that you were going to niche? Did it happen organically or did you get overwhelmed and say, Oh my God, there's gotta be a different way.
1: Uh, No, I I had a coach. Um, Mike Michalowicz is my coach. Um, I've been involved with Profit First very early since um, it was since he released the first version of that book. Part of my uh, relationship in that with Profit First was coaching by Mike. And uh, he he was very clear, if you want to grow, you need to niche. And like, okay, we'll do it
0: no resistance like just like that okay we'll do it
1: well I remember him saying to me um so because he's like vetting me he said uh (laughs) would you be okay with um standing up in front of a group and speaking to an audience of a thousand people about your um about you know profit first for for an industry and I'm like uh yeah yeah right you know (laughs) I'm just like I know he wanted me to say yes so I said yes but I'm I I really in my mind was like yeah right (laughs) But it's it's been exactly what's happened
0: mm, that you now stand up on a stage in front of a thousand people and talk to the industry. Yes. Wow. And I love it. Yeah. Uh, wow. So, to what extent were you aware of the idea or concept even of differentiating yourself in the market by niching
1: down? I wasn't aware of it at all. And Mike was writing his book Surge at the time, which is all about the process of um, of niching, and so. I just did the exercises he told me to do. And did you find
0: it at all like scary or intimidating or uncertain? Or were you just like, I trust well, him, I'm going for it.
1: It, it? No, I wasn't scared and I wasn't intimidated. And it made perfect sense to me because well, my husband is an engineer and he works in um, he's worked in manufacturing his whole life. Um, I'm very process oriented. It just made sense to me to think about, you know, that old saying of you can be all things to all people, um, but really, and I don't remember the rest of it. I just knew you couldn't do it. I just knew that um, to develop a business, I knew I had to to have processes and I I knew as much as I love learning new and different things, it didn't facilitate creating processes in the business. So that was, I understood that from the beginning. I also understood that, you know, there was really no limit to to a market for me if I wanted to work virtually, and that was a that was a definite. I definitely wanted to work virtually. So the idea of marketing to a geographic location was just never a thing for me because I well, for one, I didn't want to work in my hometown, and you know, um, building a business an hour away where where my client base was starting to to be made it. Clear to me that I didn't have to build a business that had any geographic confines to it. So um, I, I was pretty open to the fact that you know this could be whatever it grew into being. And I did know I did know that I wanted to grow the business. That was important to me.
0: So you mentioned that you were reading one of Mike McAllowitz's books, Surge, and just for our audience and listeners who may or may not be familiar with Mike and his and his work, he's the author of a number of books, Surge, The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur, The Pumpkin Plan, Profit First, Clockwork, and coming out soon, Fix This Next. And the idea behind Profit First, just to bring folks up to speed, um, because you mentioned it earlier, Cindy, is the idea of paying your prof, paying yourself your profit first rather than leaving it up to chance and hope at the end to see what's left over. And really helping business owners pay their own profit first and their safer taxes first and pay, their, pay themselves first and then use what is remaining to pay operating expenses. Um, very simply put, that concept in a nutshell, which really helps business owners do a number of things, including climb out of debt and, and pay themselves a salary that they're worth, among many other things. Uh, so I just wanted to kind of add that in there for listeners who might not be um, super familiar with Mike McCallowitz's work. But going back to the piece about getting into the process of differentiating yourself, was there anything that surprised you in that process?
1: Mike told me that um, it would happen fast. Mm. He said, you'll be surprised at how fast it moves. But it seemed, you know, it seemed so amorphous to me. And I I was like, okay, but, you know, it just seemed like a lot of work to get there. But it happened fast. Because as soon as I started to identify influencers in the industry and where people hung out um, and following that process that he recommends in in that book Surge, as soon as I started doing that, they were so hungry for somebody who was coming to them with accounting and uh, bookkeeping information, and willing to answer their questions. They just it was just like they sucked me up. And they were, you know, it was just like, oh, my God, it's finally somebody I can talk to who gets e-commerce and and gets accounting. I got I got this list of questions, you know, and and then the, the invitation. They all hang out. My, the e-commerce people hang out in uh, Facebook and uh, I would get these invitations to join these Facebook groups. And then I would be new in a group and then they would start asking me questions. You know, it, it, it did. It happened fast.
0: So how fast did it happen for our fact findery types?
1: I started my business in in around 2012, I think. That's when I was serving, you know, all different kinds of clients. I met Mike in um, October of 2014. Uh, I attended the first QuickBooks uh, conference, QuickBooks Connect. He was a speaker there. And I knew the client. My existing clients were all struggling with cash flow, and I knew what uh, he outlined in Profit First would help them, and I knew it would help me. Um, in addition to what you described about Profit First, uh, to me, another key component is the um, using bank accounts to keep up with how your um, expenditures are being used in your business, and just having that visibility because we all look at our bank on a daily basis, I think, um, I just knew it would work. And so I reached out to Mike. Um, he was creating uh, profit first professionals, the organization that uh, I'm a member of. And, um, so I joined in 2015 is when he started, um, consulting with me on the uh, niche process that he outlined in his book Surge. He was writing that at the time. So I got to be a guinea pig for some of the things in that. And uh, that was a lot of fun. You know, his books are based on years of experience, but then he always tests them out with people to be sure how he's developing the exercises, et cetera, are going to be usable for somebody who's a, a reader of his books. So, so I was a guinea pig through the surge process, and that really started in 2015. I I remember in 2016, still not sure that I was happy with um, the niche that I was picking, which which was e-commerce. I, I just wasn't sure that that was going to be the right fit for me, and I I was still kind of wavering. and And I had a client who reached out to me, a potential client, and. I don't know it just resonated at that moment i knew i i could i had worked with enough e-commerce folks i knew what his problems were i knew that i could help him better than anybody and um i at that moment i just i felt like this is what i want to do these are my people and i am an expert in the field i I was it was at that call it was it was december um because it was near year end and he was he was on his third bookkeeper that year. And I, I, that was the moment I just, yeah, this is it. I'm committed.
0: And right before that, when you were wavering, what do you think were the things that had you wavering?
1: Well, many of the clients I was working with, and, and this is this is a sad fact about e-commerce, um, many of them are not profitable. Hmm. And many of them would pay me to get their books in order. And then I would have to tell them, you don't have a business here. Yeah. I, I told Mike, I said, I, I don't want to be the undertaker to the e commerce <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> industry. No. You know, I don't want to be the one that's pronouncing everybody, yeah, you know, your business. A DOA. You no, know? I just like that was depressing to me. Yeah. But I started to see that there were some folks out there that um, had more of a business sense that were making it work and there was lots of opportunity and it felt like something I could really get into and enjoy.
0: Okay. So it was it was seeing that while there were some that were perhaps dead on arrival, there were enough or some that were profitable or could be profitable with the right expertise and guidance. And that for you, I mean, you need to have a viable business. exactly. And so this one client rolls around and you're like, Oh yeah, I can do this. This is it. This totally can work. So what happened from there?
1: He wanted, you know, he's very smart, articulate guy but he, he couldn't get his his comment to me. I remember it very clearly. He said, you know, I, I've i been doing this for a while and I figured out every aspect of this business, but I can't get the numbers right. And I just don't think I've had the right person help me with my numbers. And he t- I said, so who are you using now? Well, he was using a retired um, Arthur Anderson consultant. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> if this, obvious professional person cannot help you see your numbers what am I going to offer to you but I looked at his books and I'm like oh my god they they were not organized in a way that made any sense for managing the business and so I I knew I could help him and I said yeah yeah we can fix this and and I I love to teach I um, education is something I just I always enjoyed and um I did not want him to go around another year and not understand his numbers. That was just a personal mission for me is you're gonna understand this before next year, this time. And uh, we met we met every couple of weeks, getting things lined out where they made sense. Now I, I miss him because I don't get to talk to him. I mean, he's got it figured out and <laughs> he's still a great client but we just don't ever talk anymore. And, um, but that's 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 when I knew that, uh, that there were people out there, trying very hard to get um, service that they needed and it not working and that I had something I could offer him.
0: So you have this, so this first or this key client comes to you and saying, you know, can you help me please? And you're able to help him and you get him like on, you get him squared away in terms of understanding his financials. So then as it relates to the process of niching down, what happened next?
1: He, like all of these e-commerce sellers, is in about a dozen groups. And so he starts saying, you know, uh-huh. Cindy's, Cindy's really helped me and Profit First is wonderful. And and so the referrals came from people like him. And that's what I needed was people like him.
0: Uh, so he went out to his, where he hangs out with all his pals and colleagues in the e-commerce space and said, you've got to talk to Cindy. Right. Awesome. So is that, was that like, was that the thing that made the biggest difference was, you know, this making the one client doing excellent work for the first person. And then it sort of snowballed from there.
1: Um, That was a component. The other component was um, I I was during this whole time reaching out to influencers in the industry. So I, um, he was saying good things about me, but he was also introducing me to people. Um, other, um, uh, there was another coach that, uh, un- that found profit first and Mike, I re- Mike called me and he said, you got to talk to this person. She's an Amazon coach and she's going to be a profit first professional for- as a coach And he said, you two need to team up. And we did. And we've, and now she's one of my best friends. And we, she has really helped put me in front of the right people in the industry as well. And it's a big space. I mean, there's a lot of e-commerce people out there.
0: Right. And I think that's one of the common misconceptions before we differentiate and kind of narrow down our focus is, are there going to be enough people in that space?
1: Yeah. And there's a ton of them.
0: And there's a ton.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And how many do you need at any given time to have your business be at the size that you want it to be?
1: We right now feel like we're sized to serve about a hundred clients well, Uh and um, we're planning growth beyond that, but, um, but we can serve our clients the way we want to serve them at about a hundred clients.
0: You said, you know, once it happened, it happened fast. So what are the other things that happened?
1: Well, um, through the relationships with both clients and with influencers, um, people started to call and ask, "Would I? um, Would I?" A software company called and said, "Would I consult with them on how their software is keeping up with um, um, accounting data?" Um, That turned into me writing a blog for them that goes out to twenty-three thousand people every month that turned into other software companies uh that i write for now on a regular basis Um, it turned into me becoming an industry influencer myself it just always floors me when when and someone from the industry writes me and you know wants me on a podcast or wants me to speak at their event Um, you know, it's what, what Mike said would happen, but it's still always a surprise. I'm like, Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, I am doing this.
0: (laughs) You know, this really does work. Yeah. And so it's been about, it sounds like about three years since you began the process of narrowing into this niche. Yes. So can you talk a little bit about the growth of your company in that time and not just the financials, but i of course, would be curious to hear about those to the extent you're willing to share, but also about the amount of time that you spend working or not working.
1: It was me part time, and I did have another part time person helping me um, because I was already getting busy enough with my legacy clients. That um, and I, I really like running the business, and so it was good for me to have somebody else there to do a lot of the bookkeeping. So she she came on uh, board fairly early. I don't know. We were part-time. I think that first year, m- maybe we were at 70,000, um, in income. Once we started niching, um, it, it grew f- very quickly. And my husband joined the business. Uh, it's going to be, I think it's going to be about three years now. So he was coming, he was joining, he joined the business about the same time he was, he was doing, um, he's a turnaround specialist for industry. He was traveling all the time. And uh, one of the business he turned around uh, sold at the end of the year. And so I asked him would he help me with the um, year-end stuff before he took on another project because we had really grown and year-end is such a busy time. And so he helped with that and then realized, you know, he's always had PL type of responsibility and knows finances so, he said, "You know, I'd really kind of like to stay home and and do this for a little while." So we we figured we could make it work with the business growing like it was. We have grown probably thirty five or forty percent every year in in our revenue, and profit has been a little bit more aggressive than that. I don't I don't have that number right at the top of my head, but um, uh, we have gone from uh, m- me and another person part time to um, there's a team of um, 17 of us now. 17? Yeah. Oh Oh my my god. They're mostly very Um, Uh part-time. My um, mission with the business is to um, employ people in a virtual, flexible relationship so that they can experience what I experienced. Uh, You know, my business was created to give me flexibility in uh, to be there with my daughter and i wanted to create that same thing for other people and so i have people that work very part-time that are caring for twins or elderly parents or you know um, kids in school whatever and so most of our workforce does work um you know they, they typically have on the the neighborhood of about 10 to 12 clients that they serve And um but it's a, it's a very part-time model where they get to do the other thing that their life calls on them to do at this time too. And there's, um, I was going to say that our leadership team is, um, uh, five, there's five of us on the leadership team at this point, And, um, and we are, we're all full time. Compared to before you started this process of
0: niching down, where would you say in general, your stress levels are?
1: Well, it's a real different lifestyle. Um, You know, now the business supports me and and our whole family. And whereas before it was a sideline thing and uh, it just afforded me the opportunity to be there for my daughter. I don't know. I'm not a, I mean, I have my moments of stress, but I don't live in stress. So I've never felt like I was lived in a stressful situation either way. But I will say I I absolutely love growing a business. And so my fulfillment level is much higher now than it used to be. Oh, interesting. Maybe that's the opposite of stress. I don't know, but that's, that's what I, that's what I appreciate about it. That you
0: find it that this process is much more fulfilling than it was just a few years ago.
1: For sure. I feel like I get to grow in so many ways and I get, I get to create this business that helps it, it helps our clients, but it—I'll uh, be honest—I get to create this business that, for my employees, that um, solves what I think. You know, I think society puts people in a really hard place sometimes with having to work and having to take care of families, and I feel like I—I ha- I get to to offer people a chance to keep their mind and and keep keep one foot into this professional realm while they also take care of some other aspect that's really important for them and a, f- a friend of mine you know Dr. Sabrina she told me one time we were talk we were talking about this she she said Cindy you hire um when you hire someone it's an answer to a prayer for them and I'm like yeah that's exactly it and that's when i hire somebody i know i'm i'm going to make their life better and that That for me is what this whole process has allowed our business to become. And I I just love that.
0: Mm, I love that too. Um, And I just want to add in there, you mentioned Dr. Sabrina Starling. She's the author of How to Hire the Best in the Business Psychologist. And she was on this podcast back in the early 50s for listeners who want to go back and listen to that episode. And she did, she coached me. I let her coach me on my podcast, which was (laughs) only moderately terrifying um, to reveal all the mindset issues that I have around hiring. (laughs) So want to see Geraldine exposed, go back and listen. (laughs) and Um, (laughs) and um there's something really touching about what you say in the part about fulfilling and that yes you help the clients but almost more importantly, to your heart, if you will, is the is the people who work with and for you, whose lives you change, because now they're able to, like you say, keep a foot in the business, in the sort of intellectual thinking, engage in that way, while also being able to, t- to take care of their families, and which isn't really an option for many other full-time situations. That's right. Okay, a couple more questions before we head in the direction of wrapping up. What did your top clients say to you that they wanted? That was unexpected.
1: They they needed financial liter- literacy um, education. I just assumed if you're making a lot of money <laughs> on, uh, you know, if you're if you're a seven fi- figure business, you're doing something right. You know that don't that didn't just happen. So it really surprised me. Um, that they, they did understand the numbers. It just blew my mind. That, that surprised me.
0: That is an upcoming episode unto itself. (laughs) (laughs) That, you know, so many six and seven figure business owners who I talked to still have uh, lack, significant lack of clarity around their own numbers Yeah, interesting. and how easily we forget once we understand our numbers, what it was like before we understood numbers, right? It's like, once you know how to ride a bike, you forget what it was like before you knew how to ride the bike. Yeah. And then we just go on as if everybody knows how to ride bicycles and they don't.
1: Right. And, you know, I think it's a real, um, professional hazard for us, um, When we get this level of proficiency of, you know, I mean, whether, you know, it's accounting training or however we got to the point of really understanding financials. we just assume that it's easy for everybody and we we tend to not value it anymore. And, right. you know, I, and I've, I've been in that trap too. I'm like, well, yeah, but I, you know, everybody knows this. Well, no, they don't, you know, and it's a real value to them to, to it for it to be put in terms that they can get their head around. You know, I, I, I had to, I had to learn that because I was just like, well, everybody knows this, you know, (laughs) but they don't. (laughs) No, they don't. It's a whole other language. And in
0: fact, now I'm reminded that I think I just recently did an episode on this. I'm forgetting where it's gonna air in terms of the order of this conversation. I think it already aired. Um, It will have already aired. But so I speak French and Spanish, and my uh, my mom is French and grew up uh, I grew up with her speaking French to both me and my brother and when we go back to France to visit my family and now my husband and my kiddos come along and i have many moments where i turn and talk to my husband in french though he does not speak french and i'm talking to him blathering like full you know 20 miles an hour and a minute in, three sentences, 20 sentences in, he looks at me and he's like, uh, <laughs> English, please. <laughs> right. Yeah. And our clients, your clients, like you just hop right into CPA speak. It's, you're so fluent with it, you forget that people have no idea when you're talking IBADA. They're like, IBADA who, IBADA what, <laughs> IBADA, yeah, you know? Exactly, exactly. And it's, we have to bring our, and I say we, because I also have, um, business-owning clients who are not CPAs we have to bring ourselves back and be like okay tell me where I lost you like tell me what you know what don't you know where did I lose you what do you need to understand yeah
1: and being able to give them an analogy that they can relate to helps a Mm -hmm. lot you know
0: that's. I mean, it's among the most important things because I think so many CPAs forget that when their clients arrive opposite the desk, or in your case, virtually on screen, that they're like a little bit deer in headlights and perhaps not wanting to reveal to you that you might have lost them. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Because it makes them look like they don't know what they're doing. Right. Yeah. And who wants to look like they don't know something? Exactly. We we all got that treatment in school. We learned that way. right. <laughs> Get called out in front of the class yeah. for getting a B minus. You just shake your head and nod. Right. Exactly, right.
0: Like, hey, hopefully I can get out of this meeting without her knowing that I don't really have any idea yeah. what she's talking about.
1: Yeah, and then I'll go home and ask my wife. Right, <laughs> right. which is not what we want for our clients. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So now
0: that you're, I mean, you're now almost four years past this sort of turning point on this journey of differentiating yourself as somebody who specializes in e-commerce we have to, you know, this is great that we just had that little segue there about forgetting that other people don't know this stuff, but there are CPAs, accountants, and bookkeepers who don't know this. They don't know how much easier it is on the other side, right? So if we were to put ourselves in their shoes and go back to where they are now, sort of pre really deeply appreciating the value of differentiating themselves, what advice or tips do you have for them?
1: I, you know, the, the niche process um, for me was about finding a client base that I could relate to. For me, I had enough of clients that weren't technology savvy that I'd have to, you know, drive over there and pick up receipts or whatever. And I knew that I wanted them to be tech savvy. I knew that I wanted them to value flexibility because I did. So just looking for those things um in my niche, um, it, it really did come back down to what I valued, and when I when I looked at my values and and the clients, the existing clients that I had, who fit that, and for me, e-commerce people are. are are a great match because they got into this business because they wanted flexibility. They're tech savvy. Every one of these platforms and inventory control systems, all of that's done online. So all of the things that, um, make, that work for me work for them. And so, so that's one piece is find somebody that kind of lines up with what it is, how you like to work and and your values around work. Um, the other thing is, um, you don't have to, I've still got some of my legacy clients, uh, you know, they're like wonderful friends, you know, um, you don't have to abandon those legacy clients in, uh, in the process. But what shifts is who you market to and the language and where you put your attention to learning. Uh, you learn their language, you, you learn their software and, you begin to be able to speak with them in um, in a way that's very uh, educational for them. That doesn't mean you move away, you know, you don't fire everybody and start over. You just, over time, P- things happen, people move, your clients close their business for retirement, things happen. So there will be attrition that will start to slow down uh, the time you spend with legacy clients. But at the same time, um, who you market to and who you accept as clients will start to narrow. And that didn't happen. All at once it just over time yes I was still getting referrals from from my legacy clients and I would still take them but then there was a day when we just looked at it and said we don't need any more um, clients that are kind of outside our system these systems are working we're training our people we just don't want to be outside of that anymore yeah we're gonna keep these that we have but we're not taking anybody new um, and the first iteration of that was we're not taking anybody new unless they're an existing client that's opening a new business, you know, and then we'll take their other business on. We are just, it's too much of a strain for our processes to, to help them. So we just don't take them at all anymore.
0: I love that. The two things, the value pieces is, is, you know, who you like to work with and who lines up with your values. So that it's easy for you as a person.
1: You'll connect. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then this other piece that you don't have to abandon, right, your current clients, but that it's a process that over time, you just kind of let the old ones attrition away over time, say yes to the ones who go inside the system. And then at some point, the system runs so well, that there's very little and there's no incentive to bring on somebody who's outside the system, sort of protect the process.
1: Right. I remember it was a big, it was a big day for us when we were revising the website. And I took off. The only marketing is on is for e-commerce people now. And whenever, mm. whenever I took that crutch off of, you know, you know, service businesses, because I, I had it kind of vague for a while. Yeah, I'm like, nope, I, we're committed. We're we, it's only e-commerce, and we took it off. What happens is, um, as as we talked about in the very first part of the um, conversation, um, now you get narrower and narrower in your niche, and I, I still have clients that are retail or online arbitrage or wholesale, um, still have some legacy clients, but who I market to and who we let through the screen to accept as new clients are those private label clients of a million or more. I love that. This has been so great. So I have one more question
0: for you. And that is, you know, this conversation has been mostly rear-facing. And what I'm wondering is if we turn around and we face forward now, what do you see that you are excited about creating in your future?
1: I'm uh, announcing next week to my team a restructured um, team uh, Its structure. We are bringing a uh, person on that uh, has worked with the team for a while as a contractor. He's going to have more of a role Um, in helping us transition to provide more advisory services he's been providing those advisory services doing profit first uh, consulting and coaching Um, but I see our future being I want our um, team members to be able to provide more value to our clients uh, based on what they're seeing and so we're we're getting ready to reorganize. and um the the new structure is going to be using self-directed work teams that will allow us to more quickly educate and bring the team up to the level of providing um, great advisory services to our clients. We've kind of had those two worlds separate, and they can't be separate anymore. every Every client, deserves that level of um advising as part of doing business with us and so it's going to be a bit of a transition to get the team totally where i'd like for us all to be but uh we're going to start um next week. That's exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. I'm really, I'm I'm super excited about it. So that
0: sounds like we'll have to have you back on the podcast a year from now to hear how advisory at the addition of advisory services is going.
1: Yeah. And we've been doing it for a while. The the difference is, is, um, is moving it into the realm of our, our complete team being able to do that, you know,
0: yeah. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. Cindy, this has been such a treat to talk and connect with you. Thank you so much for coming on the Epic Business Growth for CPAs podcast.
1: I've enjoyed it, Geraldine. You know, we we get so head down into doing things. It's kind of nice to think about where you, where you've come from. So it's been nice for me looking backwards a little bit. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Thank you so much, Cindy, for coming on the podcast. There was so much to love in that conversation. But what stood out to me was her recognition that even seven-figure business owners can have a murky understanding of their financials, and just how important it is to know where your clients are when it comes to their level of business financial literacy. I also really appreciated the part about finding clients whose values overlap with yours and with whom you connect. When you do, it makes your business life so much easier and so much more enjoyable, Tricky clients can absolutely be a thing of the past. If you want to connect with Cindy, you can find her at bookskeep.com. That's B O O K S K E E P.com. And a link to her website will be in the show notes. Last thing if you know a CPA, will you help me and share this episode with them? Sharing episodes is how people find out about the podcast. And it means a lot to me when you pass it along to someone who might benefit from the content. When you share an episode, you look good because you're helping someone. They win, they get something of value and I win because I get more listeners. So when you share an episode, we all win. All right, everyone, that's it from me. I will see you next week.